It's time for another Infinity Stone Challenge. Hey, welcome to the uh, Onto Something podcast. This is for those who want to do the first third of life well. We started a Infinity Stone Challenge for Season 3. If you haven't heard of it yet, I'd recommend going back to the trailer and listening to it. it. You can find it at the top of Spotify or iTunes. Also, for this series, we have unrolled our email list, which if you aren't on it, is a great place to go because you can get updates. You can also receive different stuff that happens in each of the podcasts, as well as challenges that we're paralleling with the podcast each week. Hey, we still also have some swag. So if you did not get some swag when we did the Infinity Stone Challenge, just reach out to us either by DM or email, and we'll push something to you It may be very helpful for this episode to be able to have the email resource with you just to keep some of the thoughts organized because as Zane does, he uh, talks a lot. So I need to stop talking because this podcast has more than enough of me talking. So let's get to it. I have an insecurity and it actually has to do with my mind. It's such a deep insecurity of mine that I can even name you where and when this insecurity first formed in my mind. It actually began in middle school. (laughs) Don't all insecurities actually start in middle school, but not just anywhere in middle school. English class. It was a memorable year because it was one of those years where the curriculum held a lot of teaching on grammar and writing. It was also a memorable year, though, because my English teacher at the time, Miss Dirks, was in the final stage of divorce. Many of the details have left my mind at this point, but I do remember our classes being routinely interrupted by sudden outbursts of tears and frustration and emotional breakdowns over the current crisis that she had in her life. And as an Enneagram 2 in the making, I remember little bitty Zane Zane trying to counsel his teacher a couple times after class had been dismissed early, which happened on a weekly basis. Why she consulted a middle school student about the complexities of her life, I don't know. Why she listened, still don't know. I still think the greater mystery is how an awkward, sheltered, only child Zane thought that he could provide marriage advice to a woman in her 40s. But as we've established before on this podcast, I am strange. The moral of the story, though, is don't let a sixth grader be your life coach. That's how you know you've hit a wall. Anyways, due to the current crisis in her life, our class fell greatly behind in the most crucial material of things like, oh, I don't know, like sentence structure and rules of the English language. And as I've grown up, I've secretly learned what I've missed out by hearing other people talk about grammatical fundamentals and rules that they've always assumed because they knew it since a very early age. What made matters worse, though, is that even though I lacked in my knowledge, my grades that year still reflected strength and understanding in my assignments. If I had to guess, this was probably Ms. Dirk's way of trying to form benevolence to my sixth grade counseling skills. All that being said, the lack of education I missed in that season kept reappearing in the seasons to come. It showed in every English class I took in high school after that. It showed significantly when I attempted dual credit courses for college, when it took me hours upon hours to write the simplest papers when people around me could do it in an hour or two. 
it even reared and oh my goodness y'all it revered it just reared its head when i decided in college to take four semesters of ancient greek for my undergraduate degree i remember so many nights nearly being in tears wondering how i was going to translate another language when i didn't even understand my primary language as you can guess once all these instances added up together it equals a great insecurity when it comes to me with grammar and writing and articulation which by the way is a very unfortunate insecurity for someone who spends a lot of his hours each day reading writing and speaking but don't worry it gets better and by better i mean it gets worse a month or so ago one of my greatest nightmares in regard to my insecurity came to life and my insecurity was called out and brought out in the main floor for everyone to see let's go visit that nightmare it was a normal Monday, which don't hold the worst things usually happen on Mondays, anyways, where I was attempting to crank out a long list of to-dos. One of the tasks within this long list that even Santa wouldn't attempt trying to check twice was writing this email that needed to go out to a massive group of people. I typed it, I read through it, and I sent it out into the interwebs without thinking a second thought. Email? Check. Thank you. Next. About an hour later, though, on this productivity parade, one of my coworkers sends me a text. Come by my office as soon as you can. I walked in and I shut the door. Before I could say anything, I heard, Zane, I can't stay quiet about this anymore. At this point, I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's looking for some of my sixth grade marriage advice skills that I've been known for distributing in my life. To put it simply, he said, this is really poor writing in this email that you just sent out. Instantly, my heart sunk to the bottom of my stomach. It rested in a puddle of embarrassment. As if the moment couldn't have gotten worse, he asked one of the most dreaded follow-up questions known to man, and by man, I mean this man. Did you even read through this before you sent this to so many inboxes? Twice. Twice is what I was thinking in my head. My mind instantly raced with defensive thoughts. I quickly scanned my brain for all the ways that I could ask him a question to poke at his insecurities. Then I also started mapping out like how long would it take for me to drive to an airport and get the next trip to Australia? I heard that there are koala bears over there and they don't ask you about the emails that you write. I'd actually rather be in Australia or I'd rather be anywhere than where I am right now. You know, if I took a late enough flight, the possibilities of us crashing and being lost forever were pretty high, which didn't sound that bad in that current of the moment. And you know why all this went through my head? Because in this moment, I was known, seen, discovered, revealed. And the only honest answer to his question was the truth that I knew in my heart. Yes. Yes, I did read through that email, and I still missed it. As I prepared to read myself the right act of shame, my coworker took another breath, then said one of the most meaningful and healing things I've heard in a while. Here's the bottom line saying, you must do better in the future because your future can't be held back with something as simple as your grammar. I know I'm not your boss and this might not be my place to say this, but I must say this because I have vested interest in your future. You're going to do big things, and I want to help you get there. Standing there in shock like the first time I had rode the 
Tower of Terror at Disney World, which, by the way, was a very traumatic experience. There was screaming. There was crying. And that was only a year or two ago. There wasn't even time for a pin to drop before he launched into our next steps together. He informed me of how he had already ordered a writing guide. He had vowed to provide feedback after every recorded speaking event I did for the next couple months. And he sent some of my writing to a writing coach to send back suggestions on habits that I needed to reform or eliminate. As I walked from his office, I experienced a wrestling match in my heart between what was left of my pride and a deep appreciation for the moment that just happened. For you listening, I know you may be thinking, so what's the big deal again? Like, learn how to use an Oxford comma and get on with your life. But for me in that moment, though, I felt something. I felt a process. And now that I've had some time to actually look back, I've got a wish now that feels very strange to vocalize, and here it is. I wish this will not be the last time I experience an insecurity of my mind being brought out into the public and revealed for everyone to see. But I can take this wish a step further. I'm also wishing when the time is right, you get this wonderful, awful experience of having what you've always thought in your mind come to mind and have it pulled out for everyone to see. Welcome to the Mind Stone. One of the reasons this simple story will most likely stay with me in my life is because of the process I encountered as I unfolded it. It was almost like someone had taken all the heavy thoughts inside my brain and dumped them out on the floor for everyone to see, trimmed back the areas that were unhealthy, and one by one started placing hopeful ideas that would help me move forward. This is a word that you will find me use to describe this process. The process is called unpacking. Unpacking is just the mental procedure of vocalizing your mental script, addressing the worries, asking why they're there, stating the truths that need to be heard, and then slowly putting things back in your brain. When done right, I believe this process actually has the ability to give you a window or door into your life that you only thought was a wall. It enables you to move forward. It's an art that takes time, but if you get the craft, you desperately need it in this first third of life because the craft will bless you. Social interactions, new concepts, frustrations, failures, insecurities, successes, and conversations happen all the time. When things are not processed correctly, they slowly become what I call brain clutter. They hold us back. They make us narrow-minded. We become cynical. And all of these side effects of brain clutter do pile up, and it simply results from us not unpacking our minds. Can you even name when the last time is that you intentionally unpacked your mind? Even though I probably can't name the last moment that you did, I can tell you the last time when you were overdue. All you have to do is look back and ask, when was the last time that I word vomited on a friend when they asked me a simple question? I mean, I'm talking real simple, like someone asked you, how are you? Or would you mind passing the ketchup? And before you knew it, you were word vomiting all over them. I know for some of us, the process of unpacking is something we never do. It doesn't come natural to us. And I know for others of us, we're game to unpack. And as a matter of fact, we unpack continuously 
in our heads to the point of exhaustion, sometimes to where we can't even go to sleep. Can I tell you a necessary requirement, though, about the process of unpacking and what's going on in your mind? To unpack your mind means you have to have someone else's mind to help you sort everything in your own mind. Another way of saying it, the best thing for your mind is to have someone else outside of your mind who's willing to help step inside of your mind. And before you go down that trail, I'm not just talking about you unpacking with your spouse or your roommate or your counselor or your six-year-old cat named Fluffy. I'm talking about how the best thing for your mind is to have a mentor who has your best interest in mind. If you were to ask me what I think makes the biggest difference in the 20-something experience to have exponential growth, I would hands down say it's intentional mentorship. Now, notice I said intentional mentorship, not just mentorship. And I know people wear out the phrase intentional all the time and make it sound more prominent than it actually is. So let me define what I mean by that. I find that those in their 20s who are going where they long to go in life know that they need someone to help them set up a clear purpose with a mentor. In the circles I'm in, we throw around the word mentorship, but their definition is simply just having proximity with someone who is older or more experienced. I guess the hope is that the attributes and the wisdom just kind of rub off over time, which in some ways has validity. I used to literally just roll my eyes around the phrase, if you want to know who you are, look at the five closest people in your life, and you are a summation of them. Let me tell you, every time I heard that, I used to halt, just throw up every time because I felt like it was just an oversimplification. I also believe that it had the ability to actually draw boundaries between people based on their perception or bias of a different group or class or ethnicity. But the more that I've walked into that phrase, I've come to understand the reason people throw that around is it's got a kernel of truth. Let me put it to you this way in example number 93 from Zane's life. The other week I was talking to someone and I found the phrase respect the drip, Karen, rolled right off of my tongue. Now, where did this come from? Well, I mean, I know where it came from. It came from one of the most famous TikTok videos that are out there right now on the interwebs. And by the way, if you have not seen respect the drip, Karen, You need to stop this podcast, go to Google, and you need to watch it because it is pure gold. But the question isn't just where did this come from, but who did this come from? And it only took me a couple seconds to realize and search the database in my brain that it came from one of my coworkers that I work with all the time. Proximity is valid. If I had to guess, if you currently took all that swirls in our brain and you dumped it on the table for us to see, we would find the five closest people to us showing up more in our brain than we would know. But proximity is not intentionality. Intentional mentorship is starting with the purpose and stating the purpose of one's proximity with each other. It's where the mentor and the mentee identify the reason for the relationship. 
Intentional mentorship is giving someone the keys to access the most innermost parts of our brain, giving permission to ask the questions you don't want to ask, but you know needs answers. And it provides the space for you to actually share unfiltered observations. It's where someone looks at you and they can observe and talk about you with you. It's a talking partner where the relationship is understood that part of the relationship is you unpacking a piece of your life. I can't stress how crucial mentorship is for the first third of life, especially when gaining influence, responsibility, and skills. One of the trends I've noticed for those who don't set up time to have a relationship like this is they let themselves get inside their heads. They tend to be slower at developing emotional intelligence, problem solving, and relating with different generations. All of these things I know we find agreeable and want to avoid, but if having a mentor is such a duh topic, then how come people don't have more intentional mentorship? I think the simple answer from my point of view is it's challenging to establish those types of relationships. It's especially difficult to find someone who's in a different age and phase in life that can do this well. We don't know how to ask. We don't know how to develop it. And some of us don't even know where to start. And this is where our Mindstone Challenge comes into play this week. I've developed three simple steps for you to begin the journey of taking care of your mind and having a mentor. If you've never thought about having a mentor or don't have a single idea of where that even starts, step one is for you. If you've had informal mentors in your life, but really there's been no intentionality in it, step two is for you. And if you see the need for intentionality and you don't know how to bring a mentor relationship to that level, step three is for you. All three of these are helpful to learn about because it will help you in developing, redefining, and sharpening the fundamentals of a mentor relationship. So let's get started. All right, so even though I'm fearful of sounding like a broken record player, that is Simon Sinek's first book, one of the things with intentional mentorship is why. If you never ran to Simon, he's just a leadership expert who coined the phrase, start with your why. It resonates because it's true. Finding a mentor is challenging and sometimes courageous work to get in place. So you need to be very clear on your why of why you want a mentor in your life. And don't you dare answer this question to me like you're in some counseling session where you're just trying to find the right answer. Let's be really honest about you and why you see a need for a mentor. Maybe you're about to be a parent. Maybe you're climbing into your first career. Maybe you're on the verge of losing a relationship that you highly value. Maybe you're unapproachable as a boss. Maybe you're already a parent. Our prayers go out to you if you already are. You're feeling your faith is shallow and you're ready for something deeper. There's a lot of different things that you can be seeking mentorship for. Another way of addressing the why is also asking internally before you look outwardly. I've watched a lot of people kind of blindly go into mentor relationships. They kind of just look around, they see a human being that's breathing and eating, and they're like, wow, that person seems good. I'll ask them to be my mentor. 
they treat finding a mentor kind of like finding the right crown out of an art class piece or something like that. For some, taking a shot in the dark may work. But once again, I would like to bring you back to the phrase intentional. I'd like for us to be thinking with your life a little bit more intentionally when we choose someone. And one of the ways to do this is to ask questions like, what do I need to grow in? Another common question is, what's the cost if I don't ever receive mentorship? Having a vision of your future in regards to the kind of person that you want to be will give you an image of the type of person you're looking for. Ultimately, if you're in step one, one of my biggest pieces of advice is find your why before you start to find who. Trust me, asking the internal question first gets you ready for the second question of searching for a mentor. All right, step two, get clear on who. Once you've identified your why, you're now ready to step into the part that most people tend to start with in the very beginning, but then they start to panic until they're curled up in a ball on their kitchen floor. This isn't personal experience. I've just heard rumors that people do this. Now, in the second step, I'm going to walk you through a couple of questions that can hopefully help you funnel it down to a couple people who could really be potential mentors for you. All right, first set of questions. Where do you go and who are you around? I call this the people and places inventory. Sometimes I've called it the PP when workshopping, but I always get in trouble for saying that, so I won't use that, but I just did. One of the ways I get people to do this is I get them to walk through their week in each place that they go, either location-wise or group of people that they meet up with, I ask them to draw a circle. And once you've drawn all these different circles that represent the different places that you go, whether that be work or church or the club or friend groups or the bingo hall, the community center, I don't know what you do with your personal time. I start recommending that you start filling in the inside of those circles with people who could possibly be someone you could connect with. Now, you may not naturally find a mentor in one of these circles. And it's okay if you don't, because there's more to it than just that question. Second question, who do these people that are inside these circles know? This is sometimes the best springboard because it helps you think about secondary connections. Maybe it's a field and you know someone who's in the field, but that person particularly can't be that mentor for you. But maybe you can get together with that person and help them brainstorm. You catch my gist? If this doesn't bring up any ideas, you can also reach out and ask someone to keep thinking about this. The third question, who can relate or understand? Sometimes it's helpful to think through who understands your stage or your phase or your area of life. Maybe that person can be a great mentor or they may know someone who can be a great mentor. Now, if we're still coming up with zero ideas, it's time to reframe it with a fourth question that I believe everyone should ask in their life. Question number four, who could be a general mentor and who could be a specialist? Sometimes in mentorship, we ask too much of one person or we stay frozen because we're looking for just that one perfect person. 
One of my favorite authors talks about mentorship in this way. They're kind of like doctors. Everyone needs a general practitioner when it comes to their health. You know, someone who kind of checks in regularly, who knows who you are, evaluates your health, and can make recommendations from time to time. In different seasons, though, someone usually needs a specialist. People who are highly qualified, trained, or experienced in just one certain area of life. They don't shoot the breeze with you. They don't care to know everything about your life story. They just need to know about one area, and they help you hone in that one area in your life. They speak, they train you, they raise you up in it. I found this to be a helpful breakdown when describing mentorship. I have people that are my general practitioners, my main doctor, but then I also have specialists, people that I bring for just health in certain pieces. Hopefully these four questions kind of help you find a heading in being able to find who's a person that I could build a mentor relationship with. This is all the process of step two, of trying to find clarity of who. So just to walk through that one more time, you need to be thinking about where do you naturally go around? Who do you naturally interact with? Who are the people or who are the people that people know in your different circles? Who can relate to you? Who understands your place in life? And who can be a great general practitioner and who can be a great specialist when it comes to mentorship for you. Those are all the who. All right, so now let's move to step three in the final one. Let's get clear on what. Once we have who, once you're sitting across from them, don't panic. We need to talk about what are you even going to talk about. This part's kind of twofold. First, because handing out the rose to a mentor is a very difficult thing to do. It's very anxiety-ridden, and there's no need to panic with that. First way that people kind of panic is just actually asking people. But the second way people panic is based on, what am I going to say? What do I say if this person says yes, and now I've scheduled this time that I have no idea what I'm going to do with them? I'll address both of these questions. In regards to handing out the rose, that's just bachelor talk for asking them to be your mentor. You need to be able to know that there's a difference between intentionality and proximity. When you're asking them, there needs to be a little bit of like a template of conversation. That way you're not just wandering into mentorship, but you're clearly defining it when you ask them. Here's kind of the four pieces of how I would outline a conversation with a mentor. One, tell the person when you're talking to them what you appreciate about them. Two, identify what characteristics you want to grow in and that they have. Three, give an example or two of questions you would like to ask them as a mentor. What would these conversations be like? And four, Inform them of the way that you would like to meet and discuss and unpack your life. This is kind of the template of how do you hand out the rose? How do you ask someone to be a mentor? If they say yes, awesome. You're on your way. If they say no, don't miss the most valuable opportunity that comes after that. If you found someone that you have enough courage to ask them and they say no, take the opportunity 
to ask if they know someone who would be a really good mentor. The odds are if you've identified someone that you want to be a mentor, they probably know someone who's similar. Now, another small note, I want to touch one of the trends that's happening across the workforce right now. We're in a rare opportunity with multiple generations working all in the same workforce. And one of the trends that's happening is co-mentoring, where a younger and an older get together and each of them, because of their age and experience, usually feed each other and also help each other in different ways. So for one, it could be how to negotiate from older to younger, but the younger could help the older in technology practices because we all know that if someone doesn't know how to operate a Google Calendar, we're all just in a terrible place in life. But co-mentoring is another way to package this. So when thinking about approaching or asking someone, think about co-mentoring and maybe pitching it in that way. Don't forget that mentorship can come in a lot of different facets and you can package it a lot of different ways. I just want you to identify the things that you see in them, let them know, and also be very clear on what needs to happen. One of the most powerful things you can do in this first third of life for your mind is have someone outside of your mind step into your mind. This is the crucial work of intentional mentorship. It makes a difference. It can happen in so many ways that I just described. And as we come to a close, please don't let intimidation of asking someone prevent you from a great mind sculpting relationship. The three rules that I kind of always give people once you're in a rhythm of meeting with a mentor is be consistent, bring questions, and regularly express appreciation. You can't go wrong with these things. If you bring questions or ideas to talk about, you will most likely every time be able to sit down and lead to somewhere. And sometimes the best conversations are the unplanned ones. So it's time to have someone else help sculpt your mind for these years ahead. And all it takes to complete the Mindstone Challenge is to simply ask someone the question that starts with, would you mind? This basic question would change the trajectory of your life, which we all know none of us wouldn't mind. I hope you have someone in your life who you can start the sentence, would you mind? This has been the Mindstone of the Onto Something Infinity Stone Challenge. Like I said, with the challenge, you want to make sure that you get the resource from the email list. There's a really easy breakdown of kind of the process that I walked through today in the podcast, especially if you were driving in the car or walking or, I don't know, doing anything other than listening. This will be a way to help organize your thoughts as we get to it. Like I said, if you need to get access to the email list, you go into the bio and Instagram. You can just enter in your information or email us and text us. Also, it's been extremely helpful getting feedback. So before you close this episode, if you just send some sort of feedback in any way, you can use a mail carrying pigeon. I don't care. Anyway, it's always helpful to get feedback, whether that's this is fine, great, or if, hey, here's an idea to even make it better. So we're hoping to be with you again next week. But remember, until then, you are onto something.